I love the weather that we're having. I love that it is spring. I love being able to look outside and see the sunshine, the trees, everything's so beautiful. You know, there are times when I look at the beauty of nature that I just marvel. I just marvel when I see, I'm not sure how clearly that comes through, there's Yosemite and the Milky Way. And I just marvel when I think and look at mountains and trees and lakes and and wildflowers and beaches. It's just amazing, the beauty of the world. I marvel when I look at the night sky, and I marvel at the beauty of the stars, and also I marvel at the immensity of the universe. To think that some of those points of light we're seeing aren't actually stars, but entire galaxies. Uh, Scientists estimate that there are about two trillion galaxies in the universe Each galaxy contains an average of a billion stars. That adds up to something like two sextillion stars, which is a number ridiculously large. I can't even comprehend how many that is. I marvel when I uh, read what scientists understand makes up the basic structure of the universe. When I read about the weirdness of subatomic particles and the mystery of light as both a wave and a particle at the same time, when I read about counterintuitive concepts like quantum entanglement and the observer effect, I just marvel. When I look at this world, it blows my mind to think that we live in a universe of quasars and quarks and canyons, of mountains and muons and the Milky Way. It's amazing. I marvel. And sometimes I wonder... I wonder about the significance of one human life when it's such a minuscule part of such a vast, incomprehensibly huge universe. Like, I want my life to matter. I feel like it should, but does it on a scale that huge? I, I wonder at the brevity of life. Like uh, about 10 years ago when I was standing by the casket of my brother-in-law who was killed in a car accident at 42 years old. It felt like his life was cut so short. But honestly, I felt that same way when I've been at memorial services for people that even lived a relatively long time. Whether someone dies at 42 or 82 or 102, it just feels like their life was cut short. Our lives are such a blink seen against the backdrop of all of history and eternity. I... I wonder, (laughs) I wonder as I look at the the world around us, I marvel at at all that humans have done, at our ability to do and produce good things, amazing things. I marvel at that, but I also wonder at our capacity for selfishness and cruelty and pettiness and just evil. I'm not the only one that feels these things, right? There are times when we feel keenly the limits of our lives. We feel the limit of our ability and power to affect change, to leave a mark, to make a difference in the world. We feel the the limits of our lifespan. We feel the limits of our moral ability, of our willpower, of our benevolence. We feel these limits and and, and they trouble us. Why would we want to make a difference? Why would we want our lives to matter Sometimes it feels like they don't. Why does it feel like even a long life isn't long enough? 
Why do we want to be good even when we fall so far short so often? The answer, to summarize what we see in Scripture, is that what we were created to do and be exceeds our ability of what we can do and be. There's a gap between what we're created to do and be and our ability to do and be. And uh, so we were created with we were created to be good. We were created to do good things. We were created to live lives of meaning and purpose and significance. We were created to enjoy unlimited life. Ecclesiastes 3:10 says that God has set eternity in our hearts. There's this desire for more and bigger and beyond and for unlimited, but we don't get to experience that. We don't get to enjoy eternity. We're frustrated in our efforts to make a difference. We, we, we can't be good because of sin. Sin is not just a symptom of what's wrong with the world. Sin is the source of our inabilities and our limits. But because God is good and gracious, He does not leave us wallowing in our sin, confined by our finitude, limited, limping, lost. No! That's what we celebrate at Christmas and at Easter. That God the Father, because He loves us, in His infinite wisdom and power and goodness, devised a way for the problem of sin to be solved. He sent Jesus to become fully human while retaining His full divinity. Jesus lived a perfectly good and holy life. He died on the cross in our place, taking on Himself the consequences of our sins. And then He rose from the dead as we celebrated last week, showing His victory over sin and death. He is risen. Uh, See, it's legal to say it on more than just Easter. (laughs) Caught you by surprise. No, that's what we celebrate. And and Jesus offers us the benefits of His life and death and resurrection. We get to experience salvation. Salvation uh, comes from the heart of the Father. It's made possible because of the work of Jesus the Son. And it's applied in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where it can get tricky for us when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is incredibly important. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is equal with God the Father and God the Son. He is as much God as they are. He shares an essential unity and oneness with them in the mystery of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the one who applies the benefits of salvation and all that entails to our lives. But many people, even many Christians don't really have a good sense of who the Holy Spirit is or what He does. Sometimes this is just due to simple ignorance, just being unaware. You know, if you didn't grow up in church, you're new to church, you may not really have a context for understanding who the Holy Spirit is. It can even be confusing to talk about the Holy Spirit. Like, I thought Christians didn't believe in ghosts, but there's this one ghost who's holy And he just like what? Hovers around us spiritually? (laughs) Even if you grew up in church, even if you've been following Jesus a long time, you may not have heard a lot about the Holy Spirit. So there can just be an, an ignorance when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Others of us have perhaps seen things happen in church that were attributed to the Holy Spirit, but they just seemed weird. And so maybe your starting point is confusion or just being uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit. You might even be afraid of the Holy Spirit 
because he's the one who makes people fall over and shake and speak in tongues and other strange stuff. My dad has uh, told me a story of when he was a kid. Uh, His parents were picking up his grandma from her Sunday night church service, and they sent my dad in to get her. Well, my grandma went to a very Pentecostal church, and they got after it Sunday nights. And my dad walked in, and there were people literally rolling in the aisles, everyone speaking in tongues loudly at the same time. And it freaked my dad out as a kid. He didn't understand that, and he honestly said, um, or had the thought at least, if that's what the Holy Spirit is, I don't know that I want anything to do with the Holy Spirit, or at least with that side of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes there can be that fear, uh, a discomfort with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we've heard stuff about the Holy Spirit, but we've only gotten a very narrow view of who He is and what He does. So some churches will really emphasize that the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture, but that's pretty much all they talk about Him doing. You may have heard it said that for some Christians, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Bible rather than Holy Spirit. And that's a joke, but it's not. Because some churches emphasize his work of inspiring scripture so much, they don't talk about anything else he does. Uh, You know, sometimes uh, people can hear that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, but that's all they hear about him. So he gives us peace, he helps us feel better, but that's kind of it. Or maybe you've heard that the Holy Spirit has something to do with our salvation, but that's it. Maybe you've heard that the Holy Spirit uh, comes in power and He gives spiritual gifts and He enables prophecy and you've heard a lot of teaching about that part of what the Holy Spirit does but not much about anything else He does. See, the Holy Spirit does all those things I just mentioned and more but if we're just focusing on one narrow angle of what He does then our view is skewed because we're not seeing the big picture. So I'd imagine that for some of us we are, uh, we're, we're ignorant, we're afraid, we have a distorted perspective on the Holy Spirit. I would imagine, though, that for others of us, you actually have a good, full, well-rounded, biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. And I'm hoping that as a result of the series that we're starting today, that more of us will fit that category of really knowing and understanding the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, Jesus on the last night that he was with his disciples before his crucifixion, he spent a lot of time talking with them about the Holy Spirit. You think about that, on this last night, these, the, the limited, precious minutes that Jesus had with his disciples, he spent a lot of them talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not want his disciples then to be ignorant about the Holy Spirit, and he does not want us to be ignorant about the Holy Spirit as well. It does us absolutely no good to be ignorant or unaware or afraid or skewed in our understanding of the Holy Spirit. You know, the only one that it benefits for us to be unaware and confused and uncomfortable about the Holy Spirit is actually the enemy of our souls. Because he wants to keep us spiritually stunted and immature, and he knows that it's because of the Holy Spirit that we are able to live the unlimited, supernatural, beyond the ordinary lives that we were created for and that we want to live. So that's what we're going after in this series. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to go after this, uh, or these next few weeks, between now and Pentecost Sunday on May 28th. I'm excited in the week leading up to Pentecost. Uh, we're going to have the 24-7 prayer room going again. Excited to, to do that. 
And I'm also planning on following up this series with a spiritual gifts workshop in early June. But we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit, who He is and what He does. And actually, a lot of our time is going to be spent talking about what He does, but our starting point today to lay a foundation is to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. Who is the Holy Spirit? You know, uh, the word for spirit, the Hebrew word for spirit in the Old Testament is uh, ruach, which means spirit, but also breath or wind. And the same is true uh, for the Greek word pneuma in the New Testament. Uh, both ruach and pneuma mean wind or, or breath as well as spirit. And this is one of the most common images that we have in Scripture for the Holy Spirit. For example, Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3, says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So the Spirit is like the wind. Uh, Back in Ezekiel 37, uh, the Lord showed Ezekiel a valley of dry bones. And at, at the Lord's instruction, Ezekiel prophesied to those bones, and they assembled into skeletons, and then uh, tendons and, and muscles and skin came on them, but they were still lifeless bodies. And then uh, the Lord says this to Ezekiel in verses 9 and 10. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then the Lord gives the interpretation of this vision to Ezekiel. He says, those dry bones are the people of Israel. And he tells uh, Ezekiel, I want you to tell the people of Israel this. Tell them that I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord." The breath, the wind coming into those dead bodies and bringing them to life was an image of the Spirit of the Lord coming into His people. So this is a very common image, the Spirit as breath, as wind. But that's not the only image we have. Uh, There's others as well. In uh, all four Gospel accounts, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a dove alighting on Jesus at His baptism. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that the Holy Spirit is our seal and deposit of our heavenly inheritance. We are assured of what we're going to experience then because we get to experience it now because of the Holy Spirit. So he's a seal and a deposit. Uh, John 7, 38 and 39 says that the Spirit is living water that wells up within us. Rivers of living water flow from us. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is also referred to as fire. Uh, with that imagery, in, in Acts 2, 1-4, through 4, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, it looks like flames of fire on top of people's heads. Then there's also the sound of a rushing wind. So these are all images that we see in Scripture talking about the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and these, these images are valuable because they remind us of important things, of who the Holy Spirit is, what He's like, what He does, but we've, a crucial starting point for us today is to understand that these are just images and metaphors. The Holy Spirit is not fire. He's not water or a deposit or a seal or a dove or wind. 
The Holy Spirit is not a thing or an object or a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. I want us to think this morning about how we know that's the case and why it matters for us. So how do we know that the Holy Spirit is a person? Well, we see a lot in Scripture that makes this clear. Uh, First of all, the Holy Spirit is equated with the Father and the Son. Uh, We'll look at this verse in a minute, but in John 14, 16, Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father and He's going to send another advocate, another helper. And that Greek word another means another of the same kind, another one like me. Uh, In several places in Scripture, the Holy Spirit does things that the Father and the Son also do. So if the Father and Son are persons as opposed to forces, then the Holy Spirit is as well. But we see other things as well. We see that the Holy Spirit has intelligence. Uh, He knows things and He teaches us things. The Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts as He determines, as He chooses. The Holy Spirit has emotions. Ephesians 4.30 says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit can be lied to. You can't lie to a force, but you can lie to a person. We see this in the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. In Acts 5.3, Peter says, Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? We also see that the Holy Spirit has agency. He does things that only a person can do. He he searches and he leads and he reveals and he cries out and he dwells and he bears witness and he helps us and he intercedes for us and on and on the list goes. Now it's appropriate for us to use the same images to talk about the Holy Spirit that the Bible does. It's good for us to say and to sing wind of God blow, and fire of God burn, and river of God flow. That's appropriate and good. Yes and amen, let's do that. We are going to be talking over these next few weeks about a lot of things that the Holy Spirit does. We've just got to remember it's a person who does those things. Not a force, not a thing, not an object. A person, the Holy Spirit. A divine person, God Himself, but a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a he. He's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, why does that matter for us? There's uh, three, at least three important implications of this. Uh, First of all, you can't have a relationship with a force, but we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we often talk about having a relationship with God that's familiar language that we use. And when we use that language, I'm not sure what comes to mind for you of how you're relating to God. I would imagine that for some of us, we think of relating to God as Father. We relate to God as Father, and that's true. We can do that, although, as we'll see next week, it's possible because the Holy Spirit facilitates our adoption into God's family. But we can know God as Father. Amen. We have a relationship with Him in that way. We also have a relationship with Jesus, We relate to Jesus as our brother, as our friend, as our Savior, as our Lord and King. But as much as we relate to God the Father and God the Son, we also have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, you you can't have a relationship with two-thirds of the Trinity. It's kind of the whole idea of the Trinity, that God is three but one. You have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about this in those verses in John 14 I mentioned a second ago. It says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, 
the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. So there Jesus says, there's another advocate, another one of the same kind as me. So as the disciples had related to Jesus, they are now going to relate to the Holy Spirit, here called the Spirit of Truth. And Jesus says twice that he's with us. He's with you forever. He lives with you. And more than that, he's in you. See, what's talked about here is not an arm's length relationship with the Holy Spirit. Though the Holy Spirit is somewhere out there floating around, doing Holy Spirit things, but we don't, really, you know, we don't really know Him. No, He is with us. And not only that, He's within us, as close as He could possibly be to us. Think about the closest relationship you have in your life, the closest relationship you've ever had in your life. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit is deeper, closer than that. He's with us and He's within us. And we can know the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the world neither sees him nor knows him, but when we're in Christ, we know the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an amazing thought that the Holy Spirit is knowable by us? You know, you can't know a force. You can know about a force. You could research, for example, gravity or, or magnetism. And you could assemble a list of facts. You could write a research paper. You could develop a model of how those forces work. You can know about a force, but you can't know a force. Friends, we can know the Holy Spirit. Part of my hope for this series that we're in is that we would not just come out of this with a list of interesting facts about the Holy Spirit. I don't want to study the Holy Spirit like you studied a subject in school so you could write a research paper on Him. No, we're going to know the Holy Spirit. Yes, I want us to be more knowledgeable about Him. Yes, there's going to be information shared, but the point of it is not just to know about Him, but to know Him better. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you have a relationship with Him? You can, because He's a person, not a force. Related to this, you can't communicate with a force, but we absolutely can communicate with the Holy Spirit. And in particular, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. In John 14, 26, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. In John 16, 13, he says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth and show us what is to come. In 1 Corinthians 2, 13, Paul says that the Holy Spirit teaches us the deep things of God. The very thoughts of God are revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, which is a which is crazy to think about, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us. He communicates to us. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls, uh, Peter says this to explain what's going on. He says, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Revelation is a part of the Spirit's work. He gives vision. He gives dreams. He enables prophecy. We can speak what God is saying. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. We can communicate with Him. It does not make any sense to say that you're communicating with an object or a force. But it makes perfect sense to say that we can communicate with the Holy Spirit and that we can hear Him speak. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through Scripture. 
Uh, the Holy Spirit illumines our minds so that we can understand and apply what we read in God's Word. Uh, the Holy Spirit will highlight words and phrases and verses and concepts in Scripture that He wants us to hear and take to heart. Uh, the, we are absolutely meant to hear the Holy Spirit speak through Scripture. If you're not spending time in Scripture, you are missing a significant way that the Holy Spirit wants to communicate to you and wants to speak to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through Scripture, and He also speaks to our hearts and our minds. He guides us. He counsels us. He comforts us. He reveals the heart of God to us. Do you know what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like? Do you hear Him speaking to you? You can, because He's a person, not a force. A third implication the personhood of the Holy Spirit, is that we can use a force, but we're meant to submit to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit were a force, it would be appropriate to talk about managing, directing, controlling the Holy Spirit. Like we manage the flow of electricity from generating plants through the, the energy grid into our homes to power our appliances. We manage the flow of electricity. And if the Holy Spirit were a force, we could think that same way about Him. Yeah, God's given us this great resource, this power, and we've got to figure out how to use it in order to do what God wants us to do. Now, the Holy Spirit does empower us. That's why I chose the image of glowing power lines for this series image. The Holy Spirit empowers us, but the Holy Spirit is not power. The Holy Spirit is a person who empowers us. That's an important distinction. Because the Holy Spirit is not a resource that we utilize. When we say or we sing, come Holy Spirit, we are not saying, all right, we're turning on the pump so the water of the Spirit will flow. We're putting a match to the kindling. We're lighting the fire of the Spirit. We're turning on the fan so the wind of the Spirit will blow. We're firing up the Holy Spirit machine. God forbid, no. When we say, Holy Spirit, come, we are offering an invitation to a person we're saying we want you to come and be with us. And more than that, we want you to have your way and do whatever you want to do in us and with us and through us. Our appropriate response to God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to surrender and to submit to Him. Amen. We do not use Him. If anything, He uses us. Although even that is not precisely the right way to think about it. Our surrender to God should be complete and thorough. We hold nothing back. We may sometimes even say, Holy Spirit, use me. And what we mean by that is put me where you want me to be. Show me what you want me to do. Enable me to do it. I'm going to be obedient to your leading, whatever that looks like. That's good. But as the Holy Spirit relates to us, He does not see us as tools that He uses and then discards. The Holy Spirit does not use you like you may have been used by other people in your life who got something out of you for their own selfish purposes. What I see when I look at Scripture is that the Holy Spirit wants us to partner with Him, and He wants to partner with us so that we can accomplish His agenda. Now, let's be clear. We are the very junior partners in that relationship. Yeah. When we say we partner, we are not applying, implying equality with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does not need us as if there's something lacking in Him that, that only we can provide. The Holy Spirit does not need us, but He chooses to include us in the work He's doing. He, isn't that amazing? He doesn't need us. 
He has all power and ability in himself. But he chooses to include us in the work that he does in this world and in our lives. And so we have the choice, are we going to engage in that work with him? As we'll see over these next few weeks, everything the Holy Spirit does invites a response from us. Everything that he does is an opportunity for us to do some things with him. And part of our surrender and submission to him is that we say yes to expending that effort, to doing the work, to do what he tells us to do in partnership with him, in cooperation with him, working with him on his agenda. And with this in mind, I think it's helpful to return to the image of the Holy Spirit as wind. Part of what Jesus was uh, emphasizing in John 3 is that the wind blows where it pleases. You can't control the wind. It does what it wants. And the same is true with the Holy Spirit. We don't control the Holy Spirit. He does what He wants. But while we can't control the wind, we can cooperate with the wind, like we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Think about a, a sailboat or a sailing ship. When you're sailing a ship like this, there's work that you do. You raise the sails, you set the sails, there's other duties you do so that the ship will go where it's meant to go. That's how it's supposed to function. You raise the sails, the wind fills them, you go. But if the wind's not blowing or if the sails aren't raised, that boat is not going to move, at least not in the ways, not, at least not very fast, not very effectively. You could try rowing to get the boat where it's supposed to go, but rowing does not get a sailing ship where it's supposed to go in the way it was designed to get there. Friends, in our relationship with God, we are not meant to be rowers. We are not meant to be relying on our own effort or ability to get us where we're supposed to go. We're not supposed to rely on our own resources. We are meant to sail. We are meant to be propelled by the wind of the Spirit to go where He wants us to go. There's work for us to do. We're not passive. We're still active. It's still hard work. But it's the work that we do in submitted partnership with the Holy Spirit. We cooperate with Him. We do, this, we do this individually. This is true for each of us in our lives. You are made for more than you can accomplish on your own. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes it possible for you to live that unlimited, supernatural, beyond-the-ordinary life that you were designed for. It's the Holy Spirit who applies the work of Jesus in our, in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who applies and conveys the love of the Father to us. The Holy Spirit who does all the other amazing things we'll be looking at over these coming weeks. We, so we got to partner with Him. That's true of us individually, and it's true of us corporately as well as a church. When we think about Chapel in the Pines, don't we want to be a church that's only explainable by the fact that God is at work in us and through us? If we just wanted to be nice people working hard to do good things, there are a bunch of other organizations that we could be a part of. But the fact that we're a part of a church, doesn't that imply that we want and need some help beyond ourselves? We're aware of our need for something else beyond just what we can bring. Friends, this church is not a rowboat. It's a sailing ship. God save us from being a church full of rowers who try to get there on our own strength. Friends, we want to set our sails. We want to raise those sails. We want to catch the wind of the Spirit and be propelled by Him in relationship with Him into the places to do the things that He's called us to do. There are lots of ways, individually and corporately, that we 
that we partner with the Holy Spirit, that we raise those sails. It includes praying and listening and believing and obeying. But our starting point is to recognize that we're cooperating with a person, not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person, and that means that we can have a relationship with Him. We can know the Holy Spirit. It means that we can communicate with the Holy Spirit. You can hear Him speak to you. And it means that instead of trying to use the Holy Spirit, we submit to Him. We partner with Him for the extraordinary. So we think about responding to the Lord today. I think that for some of us, it would be good to identify the barriers that have gotten in the way of us knowing Him. It might be just, just that you're, you've been unaware. You just haven't known about the Holy Spirit. It could be that you've been uncomfortable or afraid of the Holy Spirit. It could be that you're realizing, I just have had a very narrow view or exposure to the Holy Spirit. I think it'd be good today to just name those things before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, I want to know you fully, and I'm bringing all this to you. I'm bringing the ignorance, the fear, the, the, my narrow tunnel vision, whatever it is, I'm bringing it all to you because I want to know you. A response for some of us would be to ask the Holy Spirit to sharpen our hearing so that we can really hear Him speak, that we could know His voice more clearly in our lives. For some, very practically, this could mean spending time in Scripture this week with an expectation that the Holy Spirit's going to speak. It could mean spending some time in silence, just listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Our response for some of us could be to repent of any ways that we've been trying to use or manage or control the Holy Spirit. Here is something that is a very, very common temptation for us is to set boundaries for the Holy Spirit and say, you are welcome to work fully in my life in this way. You're welcome to work fully in my life in this way. As long as it looks like this, as long as it doesn't look like that, you can do whatever you want within these boundaries. Part of our response to the Holy Spirit is to uh, demolish the box remove the boundaries, and give an unhindered yes to Him. If He wasn't good, that'd be a scary thought. But because He's good, we can let go of control. Control is rooted in fear. And when we realize that we don't have to fear the Holy Spirit or what He's going to do in our lives, then we're free to trust Him fully and surrender to Him completely. I want to give you just a minute right now. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. Worship team, you can come back to, to lead us again, but just take a minute and make the response to God, to the Holy Spirit, that you need to make to Him this morning. Holy Spirit, we sang it and prayed it earlier, but we say it again, you're welcome here. You're welcome in our lives and in this church. And we really do want to partner with you, Holy Spirit, we want to raise sails to catch your wind, Holy Spirit, what you're doing, how you're moving. We want to join you in the work that you're about, that you want to do in us and through us. I just had an image as we were praying that some of us feel like we're trying to raise the sails, but there's something that's blocking, something that feels broken or blocking that. So Lord, I pray that um, if that's the case for anyone here, that you would 
identify for them what that block is and that you would give them the grace to um, give that to you, that you would remove that, that they would do their part to remove that so there would be nothing hindering us raising our sails, partnering with you, submitting to you, joining you in the work that you want to do. Lord, we certainly pray that as a church, we do not want to be a church of rowers, but sailors. We want to catch the wind of your spirit. If there's anything that's blocking the move of your spirit in this church, Lord, would you graciously identify that to us because we do not want that to get in the way of what you want to do and our ability to partner with you. We do, as a church, give ourselves fully to you. Lord, I know that this is a church that many, many times has seen you move. It's a church that is not unfamiliar with you, Holy Spirit, and your work. And we're saying, still and again, have your way. Whatever you want that to look like in this season for chapel, we want that. We trust your goodness. We specifically renounce fear. We specifically renounce control. And we say an unhindered, unfettered yes to you, Holy Spirit. We trust your goodness and your faithfulness and trust you to work in the ways that you want to work in this church and in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.